Hi, I'm Pat Giles, and you're listening to a podcast where nostalgia comes alive. It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it. Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. Happy to be here with us, as always. I'm your host, Jake Duffenbaum. We're going to as always, our co-host, Chris Bixby. And Matt Bingo with his pal, Mario Monster. How you guys doing? Good. Doing I'm good. Not, I'm not usually here for these non-puppet interviews, but since I know our guest quite well, I thought I'd be here. Yay! Yay. How you doing, Jakey? <laughs> doing, doing great, as always. Thank you for asking. Mari, Chris, what do we have for today? Very excited about today's guest. Uh, he created shows such as Doug, PB&J Otter, JoJo Circus, a whole bunch of other things that we'll talk about. Um, and here he is, Jim Jenkins. Happy to have you here, Jim. Hello. How are y'all doing? I'm doing great. Doing Thank great. you for asking. How about great. you? Great. It's just uh, we're awesome. having a beautiful day here in the mountains. And uh, my lovely wife and I just got off of a beautiful, like, you know, two and a half hour hike that was perfect, you know, so I'm gushing about and, and on a high there for uh, for doing that. But things are good. Good. Definitely. That's good. Good to, good to hear. Where are you guys? Where are you? Well, Chris lives in Massachusetts and me and Matt and Mark, um, both of us were actually like like an hour and 30 an hour 45 minutes away from each other. No, it's 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 shorter than that uh we're we're both in we're both really? in maryland um I'd, I'd, I'd say maybe about an hour I'd, I'd say about an hour away from each other pretty close yes. huh. yeah so to Oops. start so to start this off so for those who don't know you could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do um well um my my career life so that i don't just prattle on forever is uh i make cartoon shows for kids and um, have done that, and we and uh, me and a bunch of other amazing uh, creators and producers and whatever made a a lot of shows for kids, for Nickelodeon, for Disney, for Children's Television Workshop, um, and on. Uh, mainly during the uh, '90s, although many of our shows are still airing, which is so exciting <laughs> to see stuff reemerge. Uh, Disney Plus has put up uh, both the Doug stuff and the PB&J Otter and the 101 Dalmatian series that we did. So, um, you know, it's nice to know that this stuff still lives and is available. Definitely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So prior to becoming an animator and cartoonist, how did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, <laughs> I would describe my childhood in some ways, because I forget maybe some of the rough parts that any kid goes through. It just, right. it was idyllic. I mean, we, we lived in an era before computers took off. Um, and so we had to occupy our time in the woods and play outside and, um, all kinds of things. And I'm not anti-computer, by the way, but I'm just saying we were really left to our own imaginations to go and do stuff. And I think that's sort of the beginning of making up stories 
and um, living in a place we let, I lived at the end of suburbia and then it opened up into farmland. And so we could play touch football or go on Halloween, you know, trick or treating in the neighborhood, or you can go this way and be lost in the woods, hurting Mr. Bowles, the farmer's cows uh, to his consternation, or I don't know, just getting into all kinds of mischief. Uh, it was it was dreamy for me, I think. Nice. So in, so in terms of suburbia, you would, uh, at least at least when Matt's mom grew up, you, you pretty much played until the streetlights came on. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, that's, a, that's true, except we didn't even have streetlights. No, <laughs> we didn't was, have streetlights. Um, yeah, it was, it was really this uh, part of, it was uh, Richmond, Virginia, and this part of it was new. It was wheat fields before it became suburbia. And it was in that transition during childhood. And um, we we um, we played, you know, we, we did all the stuff kids do, you know, even today, you know, ride bikes around the neighborhood and do all that. I mentioned Halloween because it was magical. It was your parents, your parents went, bye-bye, have fun. And, you know, and you, off you went into the dark, you know, for, whatever so let's say two hours and collected enormous amounts of candy and saw your friends and all it was a different vibe in some ways i know some small communities still have that we we had that a little bit in a small town up in new york but um it's not the same and for a lot of folks so anyway that was pretty cool yeah that is cool so uh before launching your career in animation, you acted in the two earliest Nickelodeon series, Pinwheel and Hocus Focus. We're going, we're going like pro, technically pre-Nickelodeon here. Pinwheel, yes. technically yeah. speaking, yes, yes. Can you um, can you talk a bit about those? Yeah. First of all, the fact I giggle because it's like, wait, how do you know that? <laughs> um, it's pretty. Uh, that's some pretty great detail that you know that. And um, I uh, I will say, you know, if this goes on too long, forgive me. But, you know, when people try to figure out how did you know what it was you were going to turn out doing and all of that, I'd say I was clueless. But I will say things happened that now I look back on that really were clues. For example, when I was in high school, a new show came out. And in my day, there were three channels regular TV and UHF and this new show was being talked up by you know I, I heard about that I thought I want to I want to see this it's not made for my age but I want to check it out and I liked it it was great it was on that UHF channel and I loved it because it had cartoons and it had some live actors of course but it had uh, these these puppets and there were two puppets in particular named Bert and Ernie I just loved them. I thought they were so funny and great. And, and that was a moment of, now that's what I want to do. Um, and of course, Sesame Street, I need not you know explain. But to have that happen that early on is pretty cool. It, it didn't, you know, I didn't go off to the big city right then and there. That, you know, I was a kid. But it was a thing that kind of got me informed my path. Uh, but by the time I got to graduate school, I decided I wanted to focus. I wanted to learn animation. So I was in Columbus, Ohio, 
at the Ohio State University working on a master's at the School of Photography and Cinematography. And lo and behold, Columbus happens to be a test market for a lot of stuff. You know, like the um, Wendy's went there to, you know, to get started because they figured it's a good test market. And Warner um, Communications thought this would be a good place to start this thing called Cube, spelled Q-U-B-E, which was moving from three channels, like I said, to 30, you know, <laughs> mind blowing, you know, and, and it would be interactive. You could actually press buttons and participate in stuff. And one of those channels was dedicated to preschool kids and it was called Pinwheel. And so Pinwheel was its own original show for Cube made by Warner Communication um, that played day and night, you know. And right. those executives had come from New York. They had worked on Sesame Street and the electric company. They go back to New York after they were done, leaving me marooned in Ohio. In, uh, Ohio. But uh, they decided to make a channel. And uh, it would have pinwheel on it, of course, but it would have all kinds of programming and really become a network. And they called it Nickelodeon. So I just happened to be at the right place at the right time to fall into Pinwheel and um, working with uh, one of the brilliant creators, Brad Williams, George James was the other one who we, and we became great friends, but uh, Brad needed help with the puppets. And I went, I'll do it, you know, I'll help. And so he let me do the second hand on the big characters like Ebenezer Squint. And um, then he had these two characters kind of like Bert and Ernie, <laughs> called Plus and Minus. And he said, you want to be Minus? And I was like, what, what? You know, and, and so I got to do that character on the show. So it was sort of a dream come true. And this is me in my mid-20s. So I'm just a, a hapless kid bouncing into a dreamy situation. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard for me to imagine that it happened. Now it's... It's a long time ago, but it's also the a, a wonderful beginning that uh, moved me out of my world into coming to New York City, and right as cable exploded, so there was stuff going on in every direction, and of course that led to went down the line a little bit to Nicktoons and on and on. But anyway, right, mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Uh, so in 1990. You founded the animation studio Jumbo Pictures with David Campbell. Now, how did the two of you come together to develop Jumbo Pictures? Um, well, it's really a story of Doug because that was our first thing. And uh, backing up into while I was working on other people's shows, mostly kids' shows, I, I, you know, I had a little teeny studio. You know, it's New York city so i had a tiny little apartment mm. and it, so you have your bed here and up above it you build this platform well the bed's up here and then down here is your drawing table and all your art stuff and uh i would climb up into my loft bed and i had pencil and paper and doodle at night and that really was not a planned thing it just evolved into these single panel cartoons each night that kind of was my way of expressing where I was at. And out of that became this guy, this character that kept showing up in my drawings. 
that um, I call Doug. And um, I showed those cartoons and some other drawings to David Campbell because he was my friend and he was in more in Broadway type uh, theatrical stuff for the live theater. But I, you know, we were good friends. We hung out, we did all that kind of stuff. And I showed him all of that I described. And he said, you, you should make that into a book. And I thought, that's a good idea. I'll, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I grabbed my writer friend, Joe Aaron, and the two of us worked on a story and I worked up this thing. And because I thought I was, I didn't know what you were going to ask today, but I thought you might ask that question. And so I happened to have right here, this is what I'm talking about. You know, that is the original you know, wow. Um, wow. I, you know, this is the, uh, this is it. This is what I made. There's the characters. The main oh, characters. wow. So yeah, even from are. the beginning, oh you might see some familiar stuff. Right. Yeah. But, I see Doug and Porkchop yeah, yeah. and Quailman. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, but this is, a. am talking about the very beginning of taking this and taking it to book publishers in New York city. And, um, and nothing was happening. You know, you get so discouraged. And everyone said, you know, good luck, kid, but we're not interested, that kind of thing. Um, and then a phone call came uh, from a friend of mine. I had worked on a pilot for a game show with. Her name is Linda Shupak. And if you knew me, anybody that knew me knew about Doug. And because uh, I'm just talking it up because I'm thinking about this, right? So she called me and went, Nickelodeon just announced they're doing these original, looking for creator-driven original ideas to make animation with. They're going to call it Nicktoons. Get over there. And I just went, okay, thanks for calling. And um, mm. call, called over there and, and made a meeting with uh, the head person um, at Nicktoons. Her name is uh, Vanessa Coffey. And we're just sitting in the room with this. This is what I walked in with. And I'm explaining um, who this who this guy is and what it's going to. It's a setup. I haven't really gotten into to what was going to get ready to go on with Doug's imagination and all that stuff. It just and as I was doing all that, she got up out of her chair and ran out of the room, which is disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're like so. Hey, what? Hey, what happened? And um, she told me later. Uh, to explain herself, she had run down the hallway to her boss and, and said, she said, she said later, I saw this guy and I saw this guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she came back in to this first meeting and went, you're going to pilot. Now, you know, who's ever, who does that? Um, Vanessa's a very special person to me and um, life-changing person to me. And so in 1990, uh, New Yorkers, people I knew from making short animation for MTV, for uh, commercials, you know, for the ad agency world, we came together. And this is where I met Melanie Grisanti, Tony Eastman, Michael Zadarozny, Bruce Knapp, and of course it was David and me. All those are names that, that play on the credits of our shows, but they were New Yorkers and we made this little film, John Dilworth's is the other one. Um, that uh, we made this little eight-minute film called Doug Can't Dance. And um, 
when Nickelodeon tested it along with their other pilots, it tested by their telling of it, it tested higher than any of them. And um, we got picked up for a series, which now finally gets me to jumbo because I said, I don't know what gave me this moment of wisdom, but I said, we'll make this show for you. But you and, they, and Nickelodeon did not have an animation studio at that time. I said, we'll do it, but let us be the production house and we'll be independent of you. But we exist to make Doug for you. What do you say? And again, they said yes. Now that's wow, you know, just amazing. Right. And so Jumbo yeah. Pictures existed to uh, service that agreement with Nickelodeon, Nicktoons to make Doug. That's how we got started. Nice. Wow. I that part of you that's know that awesome. every time I get to tell that I'm like, really? That happened? It's just amazing. Right. Yeah. That's like us. That's like us with this show. You know, the guests we've had yes. on. You know, yes. you mentioned Sesame Street. We've had a ton of their puppeteers on our show. Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, uh, there are times where us, we're like, did we, did we like, <laughs> did, did, did we talk to them? Yeah. Did, we, did we talk to them? <laughs> About like a month ago, I, I went to see a show uh, by a, a, one of the writers from our shows is, is now is touring a, a puppet show. Um, um, and the puppeteers, her, this is, um, Annie Evans, her husband is Marty Robinson, and he was there, <laughs> and when yes, they were finished, great. you know, and we, we were walking toward each other, we haven't seen each other since Allegra's window, I don't guess, but oh, it was hugs, man. and wow, and we got to relive some moments from Allegra's window, and it, it's like you just described, it's, it just, you can't hardly believe it's happening, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Annie and Marty are good friends of ours too. We previously had yeah. them on our show, and the, yes. they're they're wonderful and, people. Oh yes, and, they're, they're, and, they're and Marty made a cameo appearance on Annie's episode too. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, these guys. These guys. People. They are. Yes. They're amazing people. Yes. All the all the Sesame people we've talked to are amazing. Yes. But yeah, yeah they're they're, they're really amazing people. Uh, who. Uh, we've had so many, I can't even remember them all. Uh, no worries. Let's see. I know. Sure we had Leslie Carrera Rudolph. Leslie Carrera Rudolph. Jen Bonhart. Jen ba oh, I love Jen Bonhart. Uh, Carmen Osbar, who does Rosita. Uh, yes. Just so many. So many. Yeah. Even some of the newer ones who are good friends of ours, like uh, yeah. mm -hmm. Sebastiano Ricci, who's currently doing. I don't know. Yes. I don't know if he's still currently doing, but he's doing uh, directing the Winnie the Pooh show in Australia. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Brandon Smith, Raleigh Fields Jr., Chris Thomas Hayes. A lot, yeah, of, new, a lot of people. A lot of, a lot of the new ones are, are good friends of ours too. Um, oh yes, just amazing, you know. Yeah. And even even it's like, did we really talk to them? It's like, did did we? Right. It just it doesn't feel real. It still doesn't. We've been doing this show yeah. two years. It still doesn't feel real for some of them. Yeah, and right. you not know, at all. And, not and me and Matt, at all. And me, Matt, and Mario, and, and we actually went finally, um, like in 29th of July. We actually like last month. We, we actually yeah. saw each other for the first time in person. Yeah, we, we met in person for the first time, uh, and it was it was just with, with a couple of our other puppet friends that were really good. Yeah, Maryland Center for History and um, Culture to went to Jim Henson exhibit. And it was. I had the shortest drive. Yeah, yeah we, we had the shortest it drive. Was it, it was it was surreal. Time. Like it was very surreal. Like like we Jake and I have been friends for how long now? Three years. 
um, I think almost three just, years. Just over, just over, just over three years, and it, it it didn't feel real that we met in person. It still yeah. doesn't, and that was like three weeks ago. Like it right, was, you know. Yeah, just yeah, so yeah, four of us have that, yeah. you know, circle of that moments, you know. Right. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a small circle, but a bigger circle at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So, uh, because you mentioned earlier, Doug was one of Nickelodeon's first Nicktoons. Um, how does it feel that your creation played a huge part in launching what is now uh, a huge brand? Well, it's, you know, in, in one sense, it falls into the same category that we just went through of, of it's kind of hard when you put it out just in your in front of your face that way. It's kind of hard to imagine in a way, I feel in a way like Doug's like this real guy and we're good friends and we just hang out, you know, but to be a, uh, to be a part of the first wave, you know, with Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy was, you know, uh, a moment in time like catching lightning in a bottle. It's just uh, wonderful to be a part of. Um, I will say, um, what do I want to say? I never felt like me or the the Doug universe was a perfect match for what Nickelodeon wanted to be. And um, that might be a lot of, or at least behind why, it ended up moving over to Disney because in some ways the, um, the, uh, what would you call it? Just sort of the core of what you want to say to kids and all that um, started feeling more, I felt more comfortable or in sync, let's say with Disney. And um, so I'm glad it, it had that start really glad, but it was, they were done. They were finished with Doug and I was so happy that Disney picked it up and let it have that life beyond. Definitely. Absolutely. So I'm kind of curious. Do you have any favorite Doug episodes? Yes. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you about? Them? Yeah, of course. Because yes. there are a lot. Because there are a lot of good ones. I know. I do, but you know what? I do have. I have a favorite one from Nicktoons, and then another one that's my favorite from Disney. And I don't know how familiar you are with the episodes, but um. There's a certain rhythm to the tell the storytelling of Doug. Normally, you catch Doug. Maybe we come up in an a, a imagination thing, or maybe it's just Doug in normal life. But it leads to a problem. He ch- typically picks the wrong path. He makes the wrong decision, and it's disaster. What are we going to do? Oh no! Well, everybody think. And then, through whatever means, things are brought to him that help him solve that problem, figure it out, and ultimately do the right thing. That's a good, you know, structural explanation for a Doug. But I wanted to do a show that was different, very different from the others. We had a lot of words in our show, and a typical script was about 23 pages long, something like that. And I wanted one with less words, more air, more time to let this thing be more lyrical and whatever. And I wanted the music to play a much bigger role. And so a show called Doug's Lucky Hat. Um, oh, yeah. Really, literally came from um, us finally, Lisa and I, my wife and I, getting away for a vacation, which was, we were in the middle of production. So that was hard to find a way to do. But we went to this place, and it happens to be the kind of place where families show up with their kids. 
and you're put in situations where you're sitting at long tables, family style, and you see each other over and over again. And there was one kid who kept showing up there that was about Doug's age. And he had this tattered old baseball hat that he wore. And you could tell almost immediately, and certainly as the week went on, that he never took it off. <laughs> this was his special hat, his signature or whatever. And it was um, blue, the, the cap part was blue, and this the bill part was red. And um, I just came back from that trip with that Im image in my head and thought, that's his lucky hat. And so that's sort of the driver of letting a hat blow, literally blow into Doug's life and try to make sense of it and what does it represent. And for a while there, he thinks it makes him lucky. Things start happening for him that are really great. Um, and he attributes it to the hat and eventually gets to where he's wearing it so much. He's wearing it in the shower and all these silly things. And um, then, then it plays out at the end by way of Patty, who is adorable, but also pretty wise for her age. Talked about how special she thinks Doug is as her friend with or without the hat. And so Doug learns this little simple idea that things come and go out of your life. They may blow on, uh, but along the way, you you hold on to your friends and the people you love. And um, so we made that show, and uh, Fred Newman and Dan Sawyer made a beautiful thematic piece that winds its way through it that's got this sort of um, uh, Irish lilt to it. And um, I find it just beautiful music. And um, naturally... The how you know our production house made we made these as a tribute. Oh, to nice! <laughs> lucky wow. hat. We put our That's logo. awesome. You know that was a Doug's lucky hat right there. But um, I just, I just, I don't know. That's a special show, you know, from the Nicktoon days. Yeah, what one of my favorite mm -hmm. episodes, also from the Nickelodeon version, is the Christmas episode. Yes, me. That's too. a really special yes. one. Yeah, I watch yeah, it ever. I watch it every year. Yep, so do we. Uh, and that's Kenny's, that's Ken Scarborough, his brilliance. And to take that structure that kind of comes out of It's a Wonderful Life and other, you know, sort of old movies that we have become classics. And it's it was made in that style. And um, oh my goodness, it's so fun. And in a way, super um, high stakes for a kid to watch, like your dog. Who, what is going to happen to pork chop you know uh I, but it's silly along the way you know i just i love yeah that good call definitely so you mentioned uh in 1996 doug was uh shopped over to disney for an additional two seasons what was it like working on the uh disney version versus the nickelodeon one um well we were thrilled that uh disney had just acquired abc and so they were in need of programming and Saturday morning they wanted to sort of retake Saturday morning which was sort of in that back then that was sort of the kids world you know mm -hmm. and so they were creating one Saturday morning and uh, needed wanted animation to go uh, series to go in there and Doug had a momentum you know Doug was doing very well and uh, they were able to see it and see what its potential was and so they bought our company lock stock and barrel 
But I think at the top of that was their ability to put that right into the one Saturday morning block and, and use it in that way. But it also, for me, as it's as Doug's creator, they said to me, what is it? What do you want? How do you want this to play? Now, that, again, is a very rare thing for creative executives at a network to say to you. Usually it's, here are your notes, and you're not going to do that again. And it's a lot of where you get, you. there's pushback and there's argument and all that. It didn't start that way. It was, how do you vision, envision this working? And so kids, people that watched the two, you know, Nicktoons and Disney, mm -hmm. it's not uncommon to hear, oh, look how Disney ruined Doug and all that stuff that you might hear. You may have run across if that was me, <laughs> I was trying to and wanted to make Doug feel different from what we'd already done. And yet, of course, it's the same world, but I wanted it to feel different. So we told right. one story per half hour, and then we made all those little changes. You know, we lead up that first show, if you recall, with Doug's nine stringy hairs that are shoulder length, and he is off to get a haircut. But, but you know, Patty got a haircut, and they all have slightly different clothes. Roger Klotz and his family got Filthy Stinking Rich, um, which creates a whole different way that jokes play with Roger and his obnoxious ways. So, But anyway, it was fun for the writers and us to come at Doug from a slightly different uh, place. And I, I enjoyed making them. Nice. That's awesome. So on the subject of the Disney version, what's it like working on Doug's first movie? <laughs> we were making, <laughs> we were making uh, a uh, back in that those days VHS tapes that you could go to Blockbuster or whatever and rent. That was a yeah. big industry, and there was oh, a yeah. big call Absolutely. for for yeah for content to get on the shelves. And so we were called on just like a lot of people were and Disney asked us to make a direct-to-video movie of Doug. So we were, we had started, we, I mean, more than started, we were months and months and months into developing a movie for direct-to-video. And by that, I'm saying it'll, it, it's, you know, it's, it's going to play on a TV, you know, it's not, it's a very different set of considerations to a big screen. And and just production value wise, it's it's really like a more elaborate version of what your TV show is, which is just a slight different thought than if it goes theatrical in a big theater. And then uh, Michael Eisner came to visit us. He and uh, Joe Roth came to visit our studio in New York, which we love because you know they're out in LA. And we thought you haven't seen our studio, come visit. They did. And while at our studio, and everyone's all excited and everything. Michael Eisner says, I got good news for you. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, uh, Doug, Doug's first movie is going to go theatrical. To which we all went, you know, just, what? You know, we we didn't in, dream of that being the possibility. And he had said, you know, they had talked about how some of their kids had seen it and loved it. You know, the by then, Doug, Doug's first movie was... Um, it was in a first, it had been animated. I mean, it had gone overseas and it had been animated. We were in post-production on it. What that means is we were coming in for a landing 
And now they're saying you're going to go theatrical. So after fainting, because that's an amazing opportunity, of course, we got up and then fainted again because how, 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 like how and is this happening? How well, how is it happening? But how is it going to be possible to take this tiny little thing and make it work? You know exactly. And technically speaking, even a thing like a a, a pan of a shot, you know. If you if you're going this big across it, there's a certain frame rate and way you can do that. And you blow that up this big, and it's lag, laggy, lag, lag, lag. It doesn't look right. And we were all like, <gasps> and they saw that, and they were like, "Relax, we're here for you." And that was true. That now we began to witness what coming into Disney's wheelhouse, the thing arguably they do the very best and that's make animated movies and they worked on identifying the scenes that had to be reshot you know to make them work they brought in uh, a a person to take the music that had been made composed by dan sawyer and fred newman but to convert it into orchestration a vastly bigger thing and uh that they brought in uh someone to do that and many, many other things. And it was all mixed in LA um, on a on the big screen. Everything was done the way you make a feature uh, film. And so um, they helped us and more than helped us, they made it happen. And um, one detail of that was to, for David and I to walk into where a full orchestra, which means what, 50 players and a conductor and then they project the scene and the conductor hits the thing, you know. It was a moment that uh, is hard to convey. It gave us goosebumps on our goosebumps. And we had our phones up, you know, so that our wives at home could, could see what was going on and hear it. So it was an exciting, wonderful time. And um, I don't know, I, I, I'm glad we got to make it and it did just fine, you know, as a commercial, thing so uh I'm, and it's available now you can watch it on disney plus you know nice yeah yes yes uh so after doug we uh brought well technically after the nickelodeon doug technically speaking you created a show for nick jr which we mentioned earlier allegra's window oh yes what was what was that show like? I know we had brought up Marty Robinson earlier and all that. What was it like working with these amazing people? Um, well, we we were not making any more Dougs for Nickelodeon, and we came to them saying, "Help us! What what can we do?" You know, we we were a, a studio now. We and you know we just we thought we had at least another year and a half minimum of things to make, and um, they they said, we'll develop a show for preschool. And so um, a, a woman named uh, is whose name is Jan Fleming Candler, who was working with our uh, company, uh, started working with a guy from the outside, a guy named John Hoffman. And the two of them, and then I got pulled in as in the three of us really started creating this world, you know, the Allegra's window world, which in, in some ways, has parallel uh, roots to Sesame Street in the sense that it had a street setting and various 
places you can go along that street. And it's a very musical show and a combination of live actors and puppets. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, uh, Marty, we knew Marty and um, he was, he was, he's brilliant, not just at being a puppeteer, but at knowing who to bring in because he knew that world. And he's also a puppet designer. So what I could do is draw the characters in that very flat style that I draw in, and he could see it. He could see how to transfer that into his his puppet designs and get them made. And um, so you're right. What you said is just it's it was a brilliant cast of of people, and um, it was exciting to make. We shot we shot it down in Florida. By now. Uh, Nickelodeon had studios and for live action uh, in Florida, and um, they and that was part of the incentive. They obviously they have a studio. They need to keep uh, productions going in there. And it happened to have a tour that came across on this um, up, up up way up high in this studio grid. You could see them walking, and there you know there's a, there's a sheet of glass separating us, so there's no uh, interruptions. But uh, it was exciting to do that. It was very different from anything we'd done, um, you know, like in making Doug. So as a company, it was good for us. Definitely. So, and how would you kind of compare, uh, you know, working on a series with puppets to working on an animated series? Well, with with animation, um, in production, a lot of what production of anything is is about solving problems, let's call it. Another way to say it more dramatically is it's about putting out the fires. You know, that if you if you have a little problem here in animation and you don't fix it immediately, it it cascades into a massive catastrophic problem down the road. Because if you've got a show coming down the pipeline, you've got another one right behind it and another one behind that one and all that. That's what I mean. You've just got like a car wreck on the interstate. You know, they just start piling into each other. So in animation, you really have to have producers that are not just living in the moment, putting out the fires. They've got to look at where things are going and where are they at. Um, with live action, there's a, there's a little bit of that as well. But you can fix certain things immediately. If you if you don't like a scene, it's not working right, you can huddle and talk to the performers and whatever. What can we do? And how can we make that really work well? And let's let's rehearse that and get, let's go for it. When it's animation, you gotta redraw it and then you've got to design it and then you gotta ship it to Korea and the, that team has to animate it and they, on and on and on. So it's just a different style to it but um it's more dynamic things can happen in the moment much closer to what doing a um a live action thing with live with live actors is that it there can be an immediate change that can get you on your right track so um yeah it's it's a it's it's exciting definitely absolutely you you had brought up the uh nickelodeon studios tour i think somebody else did did they not yes uh cheryl boylock did uh, she worked on uh, Eureka's Castle, which was filmed at Nickelodeon oh, series for yes. season two. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there was uh, there so was wonderful. one there was one story about that I can't remember. It was so long ago that we had her on uh, about uh, almost a year ago. 
Uh, I don't really remember too much about it, but I think there. I think if I remember correctly, there was this. Uh, there, there was this tour walking through, like you said, through a through a glass, and uh, I think there was this little girl who who just loved Eureka. It's like, it's like I, 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 I can't remember exactly. Um, mind if we put this in post, like the flashback? Uh, if you want to, we haven't done a flashback in a while. Uh, hey, post, you mind uh, playing that flashback? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know if you want to. I don't care. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was this little girl, and uh, I don't know how old she was, but she she loved Eureka, and they and they I, I think they let her go down and uh, meet Eureka, which was really oh, sweet. Yeah. I think does that does that oh, sound yeah, about right? right? Yeah. Yes. Ne uh -huh. Never mind. Never mind about the flashback. <laughs> <laughs> never mind about that. Uh, no, it, it 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 brought back that that wonderful story. Um, a lot of shows were filmed at Nickelodeon Studios. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh yeah. Universal Studios, Orlando, Florida. Yep, you got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Lagos Window, amazing. Lagos Window, show. a lot of wonderful shows filmed down there. Yeah. Wish, yeah. It, wish it was still around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like Cheryl said, like where. Like in the studio, it's like so, like it's like kind of cold. But then when it came outside, when you came outside, studio, it was so it's like, warm. Ah, yeah. It's so ah. Yes. There were lots <laughs> of game shows done there. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yes. Uh, um, what are they? I was trying to rattle them off. There was one that had in sort of this temple. Oh, Legends uh, of the Hidden Legends Temple. Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes. Yeah, that was that's, a great. Show. That, that was great. That, that's that set was still up, and we just went in there and just like. You know, it, it is uh, does not disappoint. It's awesome. It was just great. Wow, mm -hmm. that's amazing. So now going back to animation, what's it like getting to work on the 101 Dalmatians, the series? Um, uh, the when we this was early on in working at Disney, and we're of course focused on getting Doug up and on its feet as a production. And we're looking for that next thing that we could do. And I, and this is uh, me talking up um, a show that I was wanting to create for them called PB&J Otter. But right before that, um, our boss, the guy that brought us in, Dean Ballantyne is his name. Uh, he just casually on a visit, one time we were out in LA and we were having lunch or whatever together. And he goes, what do you think of 101 Dalmatians? And I went, love it. It was my favorite show as a kid, you know, when I, I with, in the 1960s, maybe whatever, when it right. came out, I just, I thought, I loved it. It was just, I love that story. I like the look of that movie and all that. And he went, I said, I love it. And he goes, great. I want you to figure out how we can make that a series and I need you to do it fast. And we came to learn, well, first of all, that's another one of those, what, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was coming. <laughs> they had a, uh, Disney had an agreement about a launch of um, the Happy Meal toys at mm -hmm. McDonald's. They had made, they knew they were going to do this series and they were on, on their way on that track to release toys, but they had not yet figured out the show and how that would work. And so uh, I just went back and watched the movie again, and I read the original book that it was, you know, that inspired the movie. 
And what you do is you learn that there's stuff in the book, like uh, a cute little puppy called named Cadpig, sort of the runt of the litter. And that's became a major character in this the TV series. But it's just an example of how once you start digging into what's going on with 101, 101 Dalmatians, all kinds of fun little things uh, come out. And of course, of course, Cruella is one of the best bad guys there, there are. I mean, just she's so funny and over the top. And um, it was a chance for me and David Campbell as executive producers to work in LA with the Disney animators and directors and that team. So this is a whole new work pool that we're getting to know. And um, so we, we were able to go back and forth between the studios, but uh, you know, it was a whole new experience and we learned a lot making that series. Definitely. And I know you, uh, just briefly mentioned uh, PB and J Otter, which was also one of my favorite uh, shows as a kid. Uh, how was that uh, created? Well, I, when we came into Disney, um, I was had this idea for um, a show that we'd actually, um, Nick uh, Jr. was uh, were talking to me about, and uh, we were trying to get going. Uh, with these little with little puppies, it was really super cute, simple, simple idea, and um, they were they had not picked it up. Th it looked like it wasn't going to necessarily take off, but that that is just about timing. It was about that time in the timeline that I went over to Disney, and so I talked to them about it and showed them what it what I was doing, and they liked ideas from it. So we took sort of that basic idea. I I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm going to go with otters. I mean, who doesn't love otters? And so we changed it to otters and put the whole setting on Lake Hoo-Ha, you know, and um, and then it was another case of where we just had a lot of leeway to figure that out and tell it. It was at a time when um, my wife Lisa and I had uh, our first kid who's a little baby running around in diapers. So Baby Butter in that series is clearly a, 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 because we have a little, um, little two-year-old maybe running around the house and you can't help but be inspired by that. Um, and I think maybe PB&J may be our best show well, because we had made Doug. We knew, I'll always emotionally think of Doug as the best, but as far as understanding what you're doing and how to get there and who's gonna help you get there in, in terms of your studio, we were up and, and running. We were, we knew how to do it. So it was, it was a good experience, very good experience. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, similarly with Doug, do you have any favorite PB&J Otter episodes? Um, I just screened one um, yesterday. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Because huh. we're just a few months out from the holiday season. And... Um, uh, we had played the holidays pretty much as Christmas with the Doug series. Mm -hmm. uh, we made several versions of, of a Christmas special, we'll call it. Um, I wanted to do a holiday special that everybody could be invited to. Everyone gets a place at the table. So um, I didn't want it to be about Christmas or Hanukkah or any other specific i wanted us to make up a holiday parallel 
to how we celebrate our holidays at the end of the year. So we made up this whole myth about the ice moose and all the rituals you you go through to wish upon this, the star of the ice moose or whatever. And um, so it's very uh, derivative of, of things like Christmas and, and Hanukkah, but it's it was a unique holiday and and its music was and everything was. So I, I just thought it was a fun challenge to figure out if we could figure that out. And um, it's sort of like whatever traditions you and your family and your community have, you could watch, you know, the Ice Moose episode and celebrate yes. with them. So that's sort of the sentiment behind it. Yeah. And one of my one of my favorite episodes of PB&J is uh, the episode Follow Your Nose. Where uh, <laughs> peanut jelly and butter meet like the mole uh, family. Oh yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah, we had yes. any show you want to talk about. I will say we had many hands on the show. It always took a lot of people to do this. I may get a, you know, my position is to sort of look over the whole thing, but there were so many helpers, and that's an example of where we wanted to get into a disability without naming it that, but just there's a family, they're moles, you know, they're, they're probably going to have some vision issues. And we had, we brought in advisors to help us to get that language uh, done well and integrated into the storytelling. And it also helped it to become accredited to be credited to be used uh, in terms of teaching uh, kids uh, about um, what it's like to be with folks that have uh, various disabilities. And it's not the only show that we tried that in. And uh, I thought that made it really special to do that. Right. And I, uh, quick and quickly going back to a Doug, because we forgot to mention it earlier, another one of our previous guests is uh, Greg Lee. Yes. Greg Lee. Yes, uh, he's, he's wonderful. He's my, yeah. one of my favorite people. I, I miss him. We don't see each other that much because he's in L.A., but right. um, yeah. we always send a little how you doing from time to time. <laughs> yeah, he was, like, he was like, tell Jimmy I said hi. <laughs> yes, he calls me Jimmy, yes. Um, and I just passed hey, through. Jimmy. <laughs> he just reached out to me. Um, oh. a, spe a spectacular person. He and yes. his pinch, I just great, adore. Great guy. Yep. Yes. Hey Greg, if you're watching this, Hi, right? Greg. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely have to uh, email him and let him know that we uh, spoke with you. Yes. Well, who who could be a better mayor than Mayor White? I just think. Yeah. Right. Right. So under Cartoon Pizza, you created through that was another Disney series, Stanley. Can you talk a bit about working on that? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, by now, we by the, this in the I'm I'm loving that you're asking these questions in kind of chronological order, <laughs> because um, we had momentum. Now we're a studio. We kind of are up on our feet. And um, Nick, um, no, uh, Playhouse Disney um, again is a place that had a great reputation, but it needed to renew its programming and whatever. And executives from Disney would go look for possible creative. Uh, properties all over the place, including a book fair, a book festival that releases the children's books globally. Um, I think it's in Milan. Um, 
that's what I think. That's what I remember. But uh, one of the executives went over there and saw uh, a book called Shark Mad Stanley that um, I thought I magically could pull that up. I might have it right here. I, I'm not going to leave to go get that. But um, the, he, he brought in the book and said, hey, check this out. What do you think of it? And when you when you thumb through Shark Mad Stanley, it's these really beautiful, big, bold, bright color, hard to find line of these wonderful animal uh, characters. Uh, Stanley, this this little you know fish, and all all the mm -hmm. uh, imagination stuff that this little guy Stanley does. So many things about it are it's not just like Doug, but it's very much a kindred spirit you know, a similar kind of a feel. And I just went, I love this. I love the look of it. I think this is wonderful. And so uh, Disney set up a meeting with us and the writer, creator, illustrator of the book, who's, he goes by one name, kind of like, you know, Madonna or Sting or whatever. Uh, Griff uh, was his, is his name. And um, we had a phone conference with him, teleconference and met him. And he was just very chill, laid back guy from England. Um, and he was drawing these characters uh, with a mouse, you know, just, I just, I, you know, what? It's like, it's like some have described his drawing with a bar of soap, you know, it's just, you know, amazing that he was, that's how he taught himself to draw. And um, so we just started developing how that show would work. And, and we had a lot of help and input from, the Disney execs about what they wanted, but I, I, it was, um, had a lot of requirements to it about what they wanted to hit because it's educational. They want to teach information about animals and they want to teach, uh, key words like nocturnal is a word you're going to know if you watch that series, you know, right. but, um, I, I really think that was, uh, a show that went extremely well because of all the reasons I just said. And, um, I'll, I, I don't, I don't think it's playing yet. I, th I suspect it will be released soon, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's available yet. Yeah, I feel like I feel like eventually Disney Plus will add it. That would be cool. Yes. Yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure they will. Yeah, definitely. Yep. yep. So another series Cartoon Pizza worked on was JoJo Circus. What are you looking for? For a tape, I have a JoJo Circus just somewhere. I have one in the back. Well, I have, we have one somewhere, uh, somewhere in this house. That's right, VHS tapes, folks. <laughs> back in my day, we didn't go on the internet. <laughs> what was it like working on JoJo Circus? Well, JoJo, we had heard that uh, Playhouse Disney was looking for a movement show. That you know, that every show had to have content. And they wanted a show that got kids up and moving. And we went, we can do that, you know. And so uh, we started, first of all, gathering some really talented people to develop it. And so it was David Campbell and myself, but also um, my wife. I was looking around to see if she was here. Lisa uh, was a professional dancer we met in New York City, but as a was a dancer, aerobics teacher, and mom of little kids. So we thought this is a great wow. you know, triple thing to bring into helping to develop it. And then we had Eric Weiner, 
who is just brilliant. He was the story editor on PB&J and, of course, went on to do Dora the Explorer for Nickelodeon. Yeah, so uh -huh. a really special person, and he came on mm -hmm. to help us. So we, you know, we kicked around what it could be. The, the circus thing got on very quickly. But is it a is it a guy character? It was the answer was yes for a while. They wanted a a boy lead, and so we had a character named Rolo, and um, and then it was somebody else, Kiki, I think, and um, and um, then uh, they wanted to flip it. This is like a three year development period. It was a long one, and then we landed with JoJo Circus. Um, okay, I'm dying to tell you this though. This will be a, this just happens to be the case if you i'm literally pointing right there i'm oh, gonna wow. i'm gonna walk back there mm -hmm. and bring forward what this is i got a phone call out of the blue from uh, a writer friend of mine in la who worked at disney and she says so jim you remember me and i'm like yeah yeah what's up and she says listen there's an executive at disney who's cleaning house and whatever and um he says he has some of the, what they call the maquettes, because it was a stop motion show, meaning you have a character and you can, you know, armature wire, you can move them frame by frame. And that's how the, and you do single frame animation. Mm -hmm. And he said, he has some of the original characters. Do you want them? And I'm like, are you kidding? Yes. So she mailed them to me. So this is just an example. But this is a a uh, actual actor, a character from the show. And yes. you know, all that stuff they moved. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Wow. What I didn't know is I thought, well, how am I gonna make that thing these stand up in my my display case? And I, said, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just, and I put it down and it went ka-chunk. <clears throat> they have these amazingly strong magnets in their feet so that they oh, wow. obviously on the show they have you know metal floors and everything so that they just go ka-chunk and they do not move it takes two hands to get these things up but isn't that beautiful just the yeah. yes yeah that's beautiful wow, wow that's, for those for that's those listening amazing. on audio for those listening on audio jim is holding up uh croaky from Jojo Circus. Yes. Uh, for yeah, those yeah. listening on audio. And there Goliath is back. That is, that is oh, wow. awesome. Oh, yeah. Wow. One of the yep. Spadinskis. See that potato? Yeah, I see. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 I see it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So yep. that was, these are just a treasure, of course, to to have and to be oh, able yeah. to on display. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's really, it's really cool how they have like magnets on their feet, though. That's really cool. It's a little detail, but I just wanted yeah. to share that because uh, yeah, it's course. just a little behind the scenes Absolutely. thing about how they make it work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so kind of moving on from your work with uh, Nickelodeon and Disney, you mentioned you also worked on some projects with Sesame Workshop. And one of the things you worked on with them was the uh, Global Thingy segment for uh, Sesame Street. What, what was that like? Mm -hmm. um, Sesame, I'd worked with Sesame when it was the children's television workshop on a show years before this thing you're going to um, have me talk about. And I worked on a show called Square One TV, which was oh, yeah. mathematics to tween age kids and whatever. 
And um, that was very exciting. And I sort of ran the art department um, for that uh, for a long, long time. But spectacular people worked then. And now jump forward to when we we moved in with them. Our studio was one of the floors uh, right next to where uh, uh, um, Sesame Workshops uh, offices and whatever are, um, you know, in, in the middle of Manhattan. And uh, they uh, we were trying to figure out projects that we could do together. And um, I, I was parallel to all that setup. I'm going home to my two kids and Lisa and uh, trying to get there before bedtime because my kids are going to the rituals of bedtime are magic, you know, just amazing. And you sing and you read books and you do whatever. And sometimes I would make up stories and, you know, some of them were boring and didn't go anywhere and like, you know, moving along, dad. And uh, but every now and again, you just hit it. There was something going on that captured their imagination. They thought it was funny and whatever. And uh, it was about a, a little kid, a little girl named Pinky Dinky Doo. And um, oh, yes. um, uh, my wife, quicker than I did, began to hear it as this is more going on here than just something that we'll forget about tomorrow and started writing down some of the stories that I was telling to them. Because this, that, it was like every night they wanted to hear a new Pinky Dinky Doo story. And then just a, another little piece of that was at some point I get to my studio and draw. And I went down, I was all excited. And I went to our, our kids, one some uh, Rose. And I said, this is what Pinky Dinky Doo looks like. And Rose said, no, it isn't. <laughs> She's like a, a five-year-old, you know, I'm like, what? And I said, really? Well, what does Pinky Dinky Doo look like? And so, you know, Rose just starts showing me and and and, and had it, you know, they could see it in their head, you know. And um, it was where you, if you know the show at all, uh, Pinky Dinky Doo looks very hand-drawn and kind of a triangle that makes her dress. And all of that stuff came directly from that drawing. Rose drawing that thing with the, the striped socks. All these little details came from that those original drawings. And, and Rose drew, uh, drew all of the characters. And then, so we were drawing together. Wow. And, they had, and then that was being put into um, flash animation is what we were using at the time. Um, and so they figured out a program where you could take and modify uh, the Flash, or and later we were using Maya, um, which is a 3D program, as you know, but they were able to take that program and adapt it to where you, it still looked flat. It, almost as though if you could go this way, they would just look like flat, you know, like no dimension. Um, but uh, all of that organic way of, it was bedtime stories, it was drawing with kids, all of those things, I think, contributed to what what made it so fun i wanted it to be silly i wanted it to be a, definitely a show that kids would laugh about and then behind that sesame came in and said well we need an early literacy show this is a great place the way you tell these stories it's a great place to teach kids um fancy words 
is what they were calling them. And um, so, you know, flabbergasted, that kind of word would be woven into the story and shown and all that. And it sort of had this silliness going on, but it also had this content going on. And I think it made it a really strong series. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of curious, because we talked to uh, Pat Giles about this, and he, he didn't remember, but do you remember who was the voice of a Global Thingy? The voice of Global Thingy, that character? Yeah. Yeah, that was me. Oh, wow. Really? Ah. Wow. Mind blown that we, we pitched up uh, our voices so they would sound similar. Right. And... Uh, and so I, I did the, the, the globe guy was me and, and wow. Pat, Pat did a bunch of different characters and he's brilliantly funny. Oh I yeah. Love working with, he's, uh, he's great. He is. And I, Amazing. I think the world of him, we just, uh, when we went, Lisa and I went to New York uh, last year at the end of the year, we had dinner with him and you know, some of the other from our old studio days. And just laughed and laughed and laughed. It was so great. That's nice. But oh, it, wonderful. Yeah. That's awesome. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, you, you kind of touched up on the uh, global thingy segment. Uh, uh, I know that was a part of Sesame Street for a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. What was it like working on the global thingy segment? Thank you for asking me that question. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Um, this will be one of the more serious moments of our interview. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, this okay. is good. This is okay. very good. Okay. <laughs> Sesame, uh, are, are the, the leadership there are extraordinary people. And um, 9-11 happened. And <clears throat> that rocked the whole world. But if you were in Manhattan, where that those two planes, you know, and what happened to the World Trade Tower and watching afterwards, it is very hard for me to even talk about this because it it floods back in what you heard and saw and smelled and all of that happened, of course. But Sesame went beyond to say, what are we going to do about it? What can we say or do now and and our focus is children and of course the children of of the world but but especially in new york are are shell-shocked traumatized and don't understand and all these things what what can we do and so they put together a, a conference and they brought together uh people that work in uh government they brought in people that work in education they brought in um advisors about children and development and then they invited me wow. <laughs> i just thought oh yes i want to be there and i was sort of the <laughs> uh, wacky artist guy i guess <laughs> i was honored to be there in such an esteemed group of people um it was an amazing weekend together. And it was really a think tank is really the perfect way to describe it. Just everybody talking about it from their expertise. What can we do? And I, as always, while listening, I've done this all the way back to school days, I doodle. 
and it's just a way for me to process and hear and whatever. And so it's unconscious. You're not really paying attention to the doodle necessarily. You're listening, um, but this is happening. And that character, that globe that's got the feet on it and all, all that happened while listening to this conference, this think tank. And others were looking wow. over my shoulder and going, wait, that's cool. That there's something here. Hey, look at the, you know, it started getting momentum while still there. And so we when we had breakout sessions in smaller group, we, we were put together with other creative folks to begin to stretch it and see what else, what could we do with this? And that was, I think, an extremely important, valuable, honorable beginning to whatever was going to happen. And Global Thingy came out of that doodle. And so we brought it back to our studio and developed it into, um, you know, what, what we have. And we made, we wanted to tell a story that didn't require words or not many words. And we wanted to tell it in one minute. And so they were a challenge. You know, that's, that's asking a lot to get all that in. But um, we did. And uh, we did, I forget how many, I'm going to guess 20 of them. And so it could, there could be enough of them to feel like it was a repeating series that popped up in Sesame Street. And so for me, who remember the story of seeing Bert and Ernie and the you know Sesame Street when I was in high school, to now be making these shows, Global Thingy, for Sesame Street was this incredible moment of a full circle that I got to be a part of. So it's a it's a it's a neat memory. Definitely. Uh, it's that's, that's wonderful. Uh, you incredible. you mentioned uh, that time in New York for uh, during nine eleven and, and Sesame. One episode of Sesame I particularly remember was uh, Elmo visits the firehouse from uh, early two thousand two. Yes. Um, oh, uh, no. Still, still one of the most touching episodes at Sesame Street, and it proves, you know, how how far Sesame has come. Like it's not. It's not just a TV show. It's not just uh, you know ABCs and one two threes. Yeah. They are there for people. Yeah, you know, and, and they did on that hurricane episode too. The, yeah, the hurricane episode the season before. Um, mm -hmm. Mr. Hooper's death. That was yeah. That was pivotal when they aired that. Like that was amazing. Yeah. And that yeah, and you know what I've heard about you know that part where telling about you know, Mr. Hooper's you know gone you know that happened yeah. all that in one take one take wow one take yeah not, they, they, techni technically speaking they kind of learn something every day yeah <laughs> i mean i mean and it's and you know it's looking back it's honestly good that they did it in one take you know? oh yeah there was yeah. there was no way yeah, instead there was no of way like they could do that uh, again, with, any, yeah, exactly. with any more takes um that's uh, it's been uh it's been about Almost 40, 40 years this year since that episode aired in uh, nineteen eighty three, it's still it's still it's talked touching. about it's still talked about now a lot. Yes, um, and it just proves that you know you can have you can have your favorite kid shows and all that like like all these other shows, but Sesame Street is there's something out, special about that. You know, it's just, the just... the greatest, most influential. Children's television show in television history, without a doubt. 
Yeah. It's, and so it's, going it's just, after and still yeah, and still for, going over fifty it's years. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I feel like you know, Sesame still needs to you know go on for oh, yeah. so so long. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're just down the line. You know. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot more that that uh, children need to know about. Right. There's there's a lot more. Uh, aside from creating various shows, you also created the direct-to-video series Hoot Dogs. That's with a Z, by the way, people. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, could you kind of describe like what that is and what it was, what that was like? Sure. Um, Hoot Dogs was again another one of these ventures inspired by the fact that. Um, Families were using home video a lot. And again, just again to say, you know, companies like Blockbuster and many others were booming because there were so many people that wanted to watch programming on their schedule and all this. And this is before streaming, you know, programming was a thing. And so um, It seems like what I got, I was at um, Cartoon Pizza and I got the flu. So I was home for a few days and I just used that as an opportunity to look at some tapes that we have for our kids that I had not taken the time to look at. And one of them, well, more than one of them, a handful of them were VeggieTales. And VeggieTales, Mm -hmm. uh, I had a general idea about, I'd heard stuff about but just had not seen yet <clears throat> and i watched one and just loved it i mean i just thought it was it oh yeah it's, it's amazing funny, show great music great just i loved it yes so all of them and just came back to the studio just you know rave 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 about how much i enjoyed them and whatever but it was sort of a way to see that there was a way you don't have to just be a disney in order to create a brand of programming that people will want to get directly through the another distribution pipeline of direct video so that was sort of our venture into that and we self-financed this um, and created a content that you know we felt like was uh, funny and fun and for slightly older kids it was you know veggie tales is for pretty young kids this would thing we did was Hoop Dogs was for, um, I would say, uh, early, I mean, late elementary school age kids. So they're getting on, it's a little more complex storytelling and the jokes were a little more complex. But, um, you know, it was made in sections so that you could use it, just sit down and watch the whole thing. Or you could watch this, the special little story breakout or this sort of music video kind of song or or whatever in pieces so i don't know it was sort of a very different approach than anything else we'd ever done and um i don't know i i think we once again we had a great group of uh people working on the show and um we did a a lot this was very hands-on i mean once we had it it was basically us going around to individual distributors of this kind of content and seeing if they want to buy it and going to the conventions and all of that. So it's a very different um, world for us. 
it we mentioned Greg Lee. It's another ch chance to work with Greg. He's a big voice in it. He's the, one of the main characters named Chad Dimple and um, very funny, of course, character uh, and many others. But um, we made a few of those videos. But again, it's uh, all of these things are about timing that the home video world was changing rapidly and eventually going away, really, to be replaced by all these streaming services that you see now, um, beginning with, you started hearing about Netflix, and but it grew, like, obviously it's ballooned out into something that um, has gone in a lot of directions with great success. But um, that's sort of it in a nutshell. And I know you also mentioned uh, working with uh, people like Dan Sawyer, Fred Newman, and uh, Rich Mendoza on projects, and they were kind of like the music team. What, what was it like working with them on projects? Yeah. Um, hey, Chris, before I answer that, I just finally start paying attention. I'm looking past you to what's on your bed. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, Yes. I assume those, that's no accident that those are... Uh, some very familiar characters we've been talking about today. But um, thank you for that. That's pretty cool. Yes, of course. I've had them for a couple years. Um, yeah, back you can see the Doug uh, complete Nickelodeon series DVD box set that I think is now out of print. You can't get that on Amazon anymore. Really? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. In fact, listings of it now, I think, go for like $100 or something like that. Wow. Hard. That's, that's wow. eBay for you. I've got one right there <laughs> over there, and uh, I'll, I'll take better care of it. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you have some toys there that are pretty special. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, to answer your question, um, uh, backing up in time uh, to um, Fred Newman, when I was doing Pinwheel, Fred Newman was working on a show called Livewire. Did Mr. Bob Runkle just get on this? I just see his face pop. Yes, he hacked us again. <laughs> hey, Bob. Once, once again, TJ Bob Wonko, everyone. Yes. Hey. Yes, he's yes he's coming to surprise some guests on some previous interviews, and happens again with now Jim Jenkins. Yeah, <laughs> I come in and hijack your call. Again. Wow. <laughs> this just blew my mind. How are you doing? How are you? Great. It's great to great to see you and to hear you. And uh, what a surprise. Yes. I feel like I did talk to you. Oh, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you? Well, just the same as yesterday, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'd like to start with just telling you before we got all organized and set up and knew what we were doing. But back uh, <laughs> when it was when Pinwheel was going on, we there was a group of three of us from that show, Brad Williams, George James, and myself, who toured the country with a live show that promoted Pinwheel, but it also promoted Nickelodeon, which was our purpose. And we were touring everywhere. I was out, we were out about 175 days in a year. So it was you know, we were on a plane a lot going everywhere. It was very exciting. But Fred Newman was the host of a show for kids called Livewire. And he too was on a touring thing where they could do live, you know, 
uh, appearances, doing his show in all these various places as well. So we started seeing each other and getting to know each other on the road, really, and, you know, hanging out together. And then off he go this direction and we go the other. But we became great friends, Fred and I. And then Fred got a gig with uh, the Mickey Mouse Club down in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went down and visited him and saw and did all that. But um, he was working mu musically for, in some of their comedy sketches with a guy named Dan Sawyer. And he kept telling me about this guy that's awesome and they work so well together. And um, so when Doug happened, skipping a few years ahead, um, Fred Newman was going to, I knew that he was going to help us with the um, mouth sounds and the character, you know, he was Pork Chop and Mr. Dink and Skeeter and so many others. And um, his mouth sounds were of renown. You know, I, you can't know Fred without knowing he does that. And we were looking for opportunities to make that a musical signature of, of Doug. And he said, well, I, you know, I, I want to bring Dan Sawyer to work with me, which was a brilliant idea. And so they part partnered up. Dan's out in L.A. Fred was uh, in New York and lived in Connecticut. And they we just, you know, made it work for them to work together on all of uh, many of our shows. Um, and they're brilliant. Just brilliant. Definitely. Absolutely. They're they're all fantastic. So, so now, since we're getting close to wrapping up soon, to anyone watching or listening, what would you like to say to those who have been supporting you throughout your career over the years? Well, what? Wow, these are big, expansive questions. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that the the it's an understatement to say that we are are nothing without their support, of course, and I get the chance through the years to meet people all sorts of places. Um, I it's not I, I need to wear a hat just to keep the sun off of my head. So I wear this hat. And um, it's special. It's a Doug hat that um, is special to me because of it. But it's also a way of creating conversation with people that you don't know, because they might notice it. And now they've grown up. They're like in their uh, 20s and 30s with kids of their own but they go yeah i i love that show and i want let's talk about it you know so we've had many many years now to talk about the shows and what they meant to them and whatever and that's a that's an extraordinary connection to a lot of people and um, i'm honored to be a, have been able to do that and be a part of that and um, of course their comments inform how i tell stories moving forward but um, yeah, they they are part of the process, you know, hearing about kids and parents and what they care about and how they are is everything in terms of how we tell our stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so if people would like to connect with you, where can people find you? Well, um, wow, what a great question. One, uh, let's see. You really need a website, Jim. I know. There is, I'll say this one and see if it's of interest. We Because it's just began. There okay. is an Instagram um, location called Real Jim Jenkins. 
that just, I mean, this just started. And you'll notice that when he, when you get to it, it's, it's in its, I think there's a lot more that's getting ready to come. I'm, we leave on Monday, Lisa and I, to go to um, the place where this is being created and made and put together and all that to talk about what we want to do. But it, it's called Real Jim Jenkins because it's trying to say I'm I'm directly involved and I'll hopefully along the way make comments and I'm I'm digging deep for behind the scenes stuff that no one's ever seen before and putting that up. And some of those single panel cartoons I told you about that I used to draw, they're on there now. Um, so that's a that's a good that's one suggestion that you can go there and see stuff. And um, uh, it's a place we're trying to set up as a forum where I can directly talk to folks. So we'll see how that goes. But that's that's up and going. Nice. And links to that will be in the description down below for people to connect. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So. The last question that Matt's about to ask, or, or Marty, depending on who wants to take it, is the question that we ask all of our guests at the end. Go ahead. You haven't asked us in a while, Marty. You want to? I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking. So, uh, this, again, as Chris said, this is the question we usually save for last. We always ask this to every guest, pretty much. Of course, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Thank yes. you. <laughs> when you think of nostalgia, what do you think of? Or, in your own words... How would you define the word nostalgia? Um, well, I'll tell you what what happened when you just said that. <laughs> My mind is uh, opened a floodgate of the images. And by images, I mean cartoons and TV shows and movies from when I was a kid. And the ones that stick with you, mostly some of them are just silly and goofy and whatever. But a, a lot of them run deeper than that and, and capture your imagination and um, make you want to see more and, and whatever. But I just think about all those cartoons from those days, um, everything from Rocky and Bullwinkle, kind of when you get a little older and realize the levels that, that, that those jokes are playing on, it's sort of mind-blowing and hilarious. Um, and of course, Bugs Bunny, those all the Warner Brothers cartoons are just, we just thought that's the funniest things we've ever seen. And I still feel that way, that they were truly hitting on some universal stuff that we all think is are funny or important or whatever. Um, and a zillion other uh, shows made for, mostly made for kids and whatever. I just, I just loved having stories told to me and being able to be a part of that. And the, to me, those are the things that are, uh, I'm getting at examples of what nostalgia is, is for me. It's, it's, it's happy, fond memories of storytelling from years before for me from when you're a kid. So I don't know. Definitely great word to send yeah. on. For being on the gem is it's a yeah, blast. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely, had a wonderful yes. time yes. catching yes. up with you too. Yeah, yes. yes. I'm glad to be, 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 be seeing, you. seeing Bob again. Thank yes. you, Bob, for inspiring uh, all this. Yes, yes. And then you had to you had yes. to deal you have to deal with me. I know. <laughs> and, and and as always, you know, thank you very much. You know, for what you've done over the years to be a part you know, where you work you know, has done. You know, be a part of our lives and and keep thank up you. the great work. And can I wait? What's next? Be in store down line, Jim. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Great 
Yes, and, and, to, well. yes, and to, uh, to all our viewers and listeners, Likewise. we absolutely enjoy your time with Jim Jenkins. Keep yes, up for wonderful interviews. And what do we say, Jake? Keep nostalgia alive. Take care, everyone. See you next time for amazing, wonderful episodes coming your way. And keep your eye out for that. Until then, see you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye.